0: Hey everybody, welcome to Heterodox Americana. This is a show about thinking outside the box and examining the conventional wisdom that informs how we think and shapes how we see the world around us. The question that we're ultimately trying to get at here is, how do our unexamined ideas impact our ability to thrive as human beings? And it's our intention to unpack some of these ideas, take a fresh, heterodox perspective that hopefully leads us somewhere new. My name is Raphael Freeman, and I'm one of your hosts.
1: And I'm Angie Backus, another one of your hosts.
0: We are going to pick up today where we left off the last time, when we were talking about freedom. Freedom. Um, Yes, and a particular kind of freedom, an internal freedom, a freedom from the... Existential angst, freedom from the, the pain of existence, if you will, um, and what does it take to get there. Mm-hmm. I, I think you, you left with a question.
1: Yeah, I think I was talking about um, understanding um, the you-ness, the Y-O-U-ness, and um, once understanding that, uh, then perhaps we get to freedom. But I think we are trying to unpack, or I was asking you about, well, what is that you Yeah,
0: I... Well, it's, I can say what it's not, right? Uh, and, and the Hindus have a really kind of easy answer. The Hindus say that uh, you are the person, you, you, are, the, you are the observer of, of your own consciousness, right? And so you can kind of strip down your predicated self, your womaness, your whatever kind of identity you have. You can strip that down until it's just an observation. Um, but there's an observer, And that observer is of your own consciousness. That that is you. That's the pervasive you that was there when you were a little girl and also there when you are an 89-year-old woman. There's Mm -hmm. a sense of this you-ness that travels through time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And once you get to really understand that version of you that's not connected to your body, that's not connected to these kind of predicated identities, once you understand that you then, I mean, in some ways, you're, you're already free. You mm-hmm. at least know who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but your other question, what was your other question? What was, was it, how, how do you get there?
1: Well, yeah, how, once you understand the you then how do you get to freedom?
0: Yeah, so, you know, whether or not that you are embodied, certainly any you that is listening to this conversation, obviously, the us talking, these are embodied, Selves. I mean, uh, I'm in a body. You're in a body, and as long as we are embodied, there is. I mean, your body wants things. Every time you get hungry, you want something. Every time you get thirsty, right? And so, it's hard to escape desire as long as you have a body.
1: We come into the world with with desire. That's how we get our needs met.
0: Exactly. So it's hard to get away from our desires. Not impossible, but a better a better course is to correct our desires. Hmm. And so we mostly want the wrong things. And here's what I mean by that. It's very easy. I mean, what's your favorite food? French fries. <laughs> yes. So say you had the most golden, delicious, hot, salty French fries imaginable.
1: With like yeah. ketchup or mayo or sriracha. That would be amazing. Right.
0: Right. So, so you have your, and, and you're smiling. So, so yeah. just thinking about it. <laughs> so you eat it. Let's say you eat a plate of fries. Okay. And then um, you finish this plate of fries and then I bring a second plate of fries. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you eat those too?
1: Um, it would be hard for me not to want them, but I would know that it wasn't going to be. No. How about this? No. Okay. I don't, I'm not going to eat that second plate of fries.
0: A, a third plate of fries is out of the question.
1: Yeah, and the second second plate is out of the question. Too. I mean, you I just were won't. unsure
0: about the second plate. Well,
1: because what would be it would be sad for me that I wasn't eating them, but I wouldn't because I'd would be full and it would just be not as fun. I wouldn't love them.
0: Right, you wouldn't love them. Oh, yeah. They wouldn't do for you with no. the first plate, and of that fries would be did.
1: disappointing. Yeah,
0: um, and, and so there's a marginal utility, right? There's a mar- there's a there's an economic term, but there's a marginal utility. There's only so much utility you can get out of additional fries once you hit your your satiation point right like
1: with anything yeah i have an ice cream cone and then i'm like yay that was so good and then you go for another one it's like not so you would definitely not go for the third one
0: right so i wouldn't say like with anything but certainly not on things of this realm
1: right that's i was the same with anything in this realm yeah
0: oh is that's that what that i that meant <laughs> is, is yeah. that it uh but you could move on you know so if you had your fill of a fries you could then move on to a movie. Right?
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: these things would not compete with each other. You could get like full of fries and then watch a really good movie and still feel satisfied.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but the likelihood of you watching three movies mm-hmm. is going to be next to zero. Right. Um, because that's just not enjoyable. That's right. Um and and the thing is there are loads of types of things that are enjoyable in this realm mm-hmm. so in you know religious people might call it pleasures of the flesh we can think of it as neuro our basic neurotransmitters that have to do with our happiness We're talking about oxytocin and dopamine and endorphins, endorphins and what's the other one endorphins
1: dopamine oxytocin and serotonin serotonin
0: there yeah. you Thank and, and, and so just at the, at the purely chemical level, um, your body won't have a sustained reaction to, to being flooded with these, these neurotransmitters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so by their very nature, you, you can't always be happy in this way. The pleasures of the flesh always... They play out. They, yeah, they run out after a while.
1: But I mean, there's always a, another direction you can go. Like you said, you get the french fries and you watch the movie. So absolutely. And maybe you take a long nap that you know and on and on
0: <laughs> so you're so yes uh-huh. um you can jump from uh, neurotransmitter driven uh pleasure uh, you can ju- pleasure of the flesh to pleasure of the flesh to mm-hmm. make a kind of simple everyday mm-hmm. term right but those desires are limited in their scope and they ultimately don't lead us to a place of freedom
1: that's right because you're always wanting
0: because you will always want. Even if you switch you you're still going to want.
1: Right. Even if you go from the fries to the movie there's still want want want.
0: Right. There are ways to escape that type of desire though. Um and while you know there there is a there's a course of correction which you know um eventually you once you have your desires corrected to such a degree that the thing that you want most is to serve others. Mm-hmm. Um then if you are both, you understand who you are, you understand your you that pervasive you, and the thing that you want is really service, right? So the Buddhists have another term, I think it's called a bodhi, Bodhisattva, mm-hmm. uh, and it's about becoming a person who is free enough and understands enlightenment enough that your chief desire is to serve and also to help others become enlightened.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it makes sense even in terms of the hard wiring. You know, we talked uh, about this a couple shows ago. The mirror neurons, we're, we're wired, we're hardwired for connection. Right. And really our desire is to be in connection. The way we connect is to, you know, it's the it's the give and take to each other. That's where the connection is formed.
0: Right. I think the, the complexity... Right. So, yes. I mean, ultimately we want connection we want communion we want uh i think a a sense of um union Mm -hmm. with uh with the the other right Mm and with the 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 kind of self melds into the other Mm -hmm. which is i'm not saying it's easy to get to Mm -hmm. um but it's get toable, right we can get there um and that's really, I think, that's that's the escape route. That's where our, our desires get corrected and we start to want something else. We really just want to serve.
1: So if you're listening, I mean, if people are listening to this and you're talking about a course of correction, a way of um, a path to freedom, and you're saying, well, ultimately, you know, this path to freedom is to understand your you and then go towards service. I mean, really, is it that easy? Yeah, so,
0: no, it's not easy at all. Uh, I mean, I, I guess the reason that I brought up desires because you can ask yourself so you can you can look at your identity, you can look at the self and try to understand what's happening at the self level. But you could also look at your desires and say, "What is it that I really want? Like, what do you want? What do you truly want?" Mm-hmm. And uh, we talked about this a little bit in, in the previous episode. Um, But if you look underneath, if you can understand what is driving all of the things that you want, you're going to see that they're really in service to you feeling a particular kind of way. Right. I want to feel this way and this is why I want this.
1: Or I don't want to feel this way. Right. But there's
0: Mm -hmm. or I don't want to feel this way. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's at least one desire that we have that is not about um, that's not about that. Mm -hmm. And that's the desire for service to the whole, which is the same thing as wanting for others, um, wanting for others, the goodness that you want for yourself, Mm -hmm. which is the, I think, the ultimate kindness.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think for some that feels so threatening and it's this interesting idea. If you pick it apart, you can't, some people get stuck at not wanting for others what they want for themselves because they feel like there's not going to be enough. I mean, it's an unconscious thought. But I think that happens sometimes. We hold back because we don't have it, so we can't want it for someone else.
0: Right. I think you're exactly right. That is, so many people do that. But it's not a zero sum game. It's just, it's not. You know, in your in your own life, have you ever been trapped be between those things, kind of wanting the best for someone else and wanting the best for you, we're feeling that those two things were at odds? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think um, I have. Uh, You know, I guess it's a kind of a a really personal example. But I think um, for a while I was noticing that I was avoiding um, people talking about their house, uh, them owning a house or buying a house or um, moving and selling their house. And I because I don't own a home. I I
0: I was going to ask why.
1: Yeah, because I rent. I used to own a home a long time ago, but I haven't for many years and I realized that I was avoiding hearing that, and I had to kind of, uh, kind of get in there for myself and wonder what was going on for me. And I think there were two things. There are two things happening. One is that probably it's the zero sum game. I, I, I realized after investigating that perhaps there was a um, a threat to me that if they are getting homes, then it must mean that I'm not getting a home. No, yeah. that wasn't a conscious thought. That's unconscious. It was felt like well, there's not enough to go around. Um, not, not literally like not enough homes to go around, but if they're getting one, this means that I I'm still trapped in my own situation, not having one. Mm. Um, so that was going on. But then when I went, dug a little bit deeper and started to consider that, um, certainly, you know, I have the opportunity perhaps one day to get one. So there isn't, you know, this, this message that I was believing that if they're getting a home that I won't, I, I could probably at some point, get one. So that's a possibility. But then when I went a little further, um, it seemed that that would have to be, I was doing this outcome. I'm not going to be happy. Um, I can be happy if I think about myself actually getting a home. Um, And that makes me feel better when I see theirs because someday I'll get one. But going deeper, I thought, well, no, I mean, even if I don't, even if, you know, there's some kind of fluke in life and I would never own a home again, how come I just can't be happy for this person that gets to own a home? Um, why is that threatening to me? Why can't I just be in like want the their best joy? For them. Yeah, and and to actually enjoy their joy, like that's kind of a gift. Like if you, you know, I, I visited somebody's home this morning, so it, to see her joy and getting it, that's what I was allowing myself to connect to. Is like, wow, she's so excited, and then I got excited because it was really fun to see, and it was me being in connection with that person, not with the thing that I was trying to get. And that felt like freedom to me. I was free.
0: So in essence, you actually escaped that zero-sum thinking where the very notion that you're getting a house was tied to theirs, but also at the meta level where their happiness somehow affects your happiness. It seems like you have escaped every level of the zero-sum thinking.
1: I think so. Yeah, after after kind of pulling it apart, that's where I got that I could enjoy their joy. Um, and, you know, I think this is tricky. I... So there's this thing going around these days. I don't know if you are aware of this thing with Ellen DeGeneres. Did you you see this? It popped up on Facebook and social media.
0: This is the George W. Bush thing.
1: Yeah, it's um, her talking about, you know, they're in some kind of, they're at some sporting event. And you could see them on camera, like laughing and talking. And people were questioning her relationship with him because, you know, some had mentioned that, you know, he wasn't this great politician or maybe was even somebody against her as as somebody who's a part of the LGBTQ community and she came on and said this thing about being kind and um I don't know what it was verbatim but she was just saying you know we I I may not agree with him on on a lot of levels but it doesn't mean that he's not my friend and I can't be kind to him right so i saw a few reactions i don't know what i don't know what your you know, people were saying or the people that, you know, were are saying, um, but the people that I know, some of them were really sharing it and saying, this is so great. We all need to be kind. Some people were sharing it and saying, this is what's wrong. You know, we can't do this. We can't cover up what this person has done, even with kindness, because then we're not holding them accountable. And it's, it is going to take us backwards in our, in our, in our pursuit of things like justice.
0: Being, being kind is going to take them backwards.
1: Yeah, because people talked about, you know, him being, you know, I saw things like, you know, he he was a war criminal. Um, He would have stood against somebody like you who is, you know, they were saying this to her, somebody who is part of the LGBTQ community. So um, being kind means that you're giving him a pass for the things that he had done. And, you know, the thinking too is if you're giving George W. Bush a pass, you know, for Um, being kind to him in the face of the things that they had thought were atrocities then you give your racist uncle at the dinner table you give him a pass too you're kind to him
0: so that's a great question right should we be kind to our racist uncle or our homophobic cousin Uh, I think unequivocally the answer has to be yes has to be yes well it depends on what kind of world you want right? Um, if you want a world where you're I mean so Ellen almost said as much she said if you want to just be kind to the people who agree with you, then what what kind of world do you do, are you really trying to to live in? Uh, it's one that promotes the type of hatred and tribalism. Like there are people who are redeemed, right? And, and maybe you believe in human redemption. Maybe you don't. But if you believe in human redemption at all, if you believe that people can can change, and we have loads of evidence, right? We have people who are former uh, Nazis, former skinheads, who because of being um, walk through a process of community, they actually see the harm that they're doing to other individuals. If we only treat those people um, with disdain, if we only treat them with a lack of kindness, uh, how, how are people redeemed?
1: But isn't there um, that the, the, the threat of then the people that are already being held down being more of a doormat? You know, if if you're going to be kind, then it perhaps communicates that you don't have to change.
0: Um, Well, so I I think these are people who fundamentally misunderstand what kindness is about. Um, Kindness is not about, hey, let's be friends. It means that we are, to be kind means to understand that we are of the same kind.
1: To be fair, though, Ellen DeGeneres did say George Bush is my friend. And to be kind.
0: Okay. Maybe they are friends. Okay. Um, but, the, but the idea of kindness means that sorry, you understand you that we are of the same kind. That we are, in fact, a type of kin, which is, you know, it's the same root. Um, that we are alike. That we, are, we are humans in the same way. Me? And as such, I'm actually going to treat you like a human being. I'm going to recognize your humanity, even if you hate me, even if you don't like me, even if you want to see... My utter destruction. It doesn't mean that my treatment toward you is going to be something less than human.
1: And what does that get you, freedom? Because it feels like it would be the opposite of freedom to me.
0: Well, what's what's the alternative to be barbaric, to act less than you know, to act like our enemies are less than human?
1: To stand if, up for if, justice, to stand up for yourself, well, to say at no to the evils right in the in the face of...
0: You can do all those things. You can be, you can hold people accountable. You can hold people to a standard of justice um, and still not treat them as something less than human. So
1: you're saying it's not one way or the other way. You're saying you can be kind and still stand in the face of injustice.
0: I think both things have to be compatible. If you are to be like... Uh, a, 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 if you are to be... A conscientious human being Then it doesn't mean that we um, That we abnegate Our responsibility to the whole To our community Yes, we have a standard of justice We hold that standard of justice um, But we also treat even our enemies As human beings Even those who need to be brought to justice We treat them as if they are fully human Because they are And that, that's what kindness is about It's about treating someone As if they are fully human It's not about saying, oh, let's eat popcorn together. I mean, Ellen may want to eat popcorn with her friend. That's fine. Um, But kindness is not about that. It's about saying, oh, um, I'm going to treat you like a full human being.
1: So when do you think that it is um, okay to then rise up? I mean, if somebody's being unkind to you, I mean, does it just mean that we just return kindness over and over again?
0: Yeah, that's exactly what it means. Really? Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, uh, you know, one, one of the wisest teachers that we've had, um, Jesus had some insight on this, about what it means to, um, how, how do we comport ourselves when in the face of something that is utterly against us? And um, we don't have to become evil in those moments. We can still, especially if you understand who you really are. Right? if you understand who you really are if you really understand your value if you really understand your worth if you understand the essence of you uh then you never have to resort to being a monster um you can see people who are your enemies and see that like
1: so i'm going to i'm going to ask this this is probably you know it's it's a, an example that feels a little tricky to ask but something like you know even during the the civil rights movement um and the civil rights era, you know, you'd see, like, these cops, like, beating up um, black people that are dining in a diner, like, but with sticks, you know, or spraying them with hoses. Like, how how does kindness work in the face of that?
0: Um, I, I It works the way, I mean, what do you mean? How does it work? Tell, tell me what you mean.
1: Well, I mean... Being kind when you're being completely, you know, almost put to death or beat to death or being spat upon or being cursed out, then is it the turn the other cheek mentality? Because I wonder if we would have gotten as far if that were the case.
0: Yeah, no, I think we would have. Again, you know, this is what I meant when I said, so I don't think Jesus was wrong when he said turn the other cheek. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually think he was on to something. Um, well,
1: I think wasn't the turn the other cheek. It's probably you turn the other cheek because they can't take your humanity. Like they can't take anything. If from
0: you me. fully understand who you are, then this is true. Look, let, let, let's rephrase it. Let's look at it in a different way. Okay. Uh, because I, I don't want you to, I don't want you to feel trapped in the sense of um, do, we, do we eat at the same table with the people who hate us? And you, you could. Think of it this way. If you, were, if you had your enemy in a jail cell, right?
1: mm-hmm.
0: say you've been, I don't know, at war, right? you've captured your enemy, do you feed him or do you starve him?
1: Well, some people might starve him, but I think you should feed them. Right.
0: If you starve your enemy, mm-hmm. right? what does that do to you on the inside? Who have you become? You are now the monster. If there is a process, and if you don't have a process, I don't know what to do. If there is a process... By which you bring people to justice, right, and you follow that process, then along the way, those people who are your enemies, you treat them as human beings, you don 't let their wounds fester, you don 't starve them, you don 't torture them that 's not what you do as a human being, and the minute you slip into treating someone as if they were less than human,
1: that becomes a you
0: <laughs> are the monster. Hmm. And that's why kindness, you can be kind for them, but be kind for yourself. It's for the sake of your own humanity as much as it is for theirs.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it just feels at this point, even particularly in the state of this country, a conflict. I hear you. I think um, you're talking about an internal locus of control. The freedom that comes from, as we started this whole thing, um, in your mind. Um, it is in conflict, I think, when I consider how much oppression is visited upon people, you know, by what I was naming before, even like, you know, external, uh, uh, ways of like even spitting on somebody.
0: What's the part that's in conflict? The idea Uh, that you would treat them like a human?
1: Well, no, I guess like a human, but to, you know, back to this Ellen thing where people were saying, you know... If you go towards kindness, then you're losing the real message that needs to be said. That that this isn't okay. So
0: so that that that's a, I mean, what's the real message? It's not okay. And and what else? What's the real message?
1: The real message is you um, have turned your back on people. George W. Bush. This is, this is what I'm saying and I'm encapsulating. You've turned your right. back on people. Ellen, particularly you sitting with somebody who at one time was completely against you and laughing with them makes it seem as if he doesn't have to be held responsible.
0: Well, I, I mean, I don't know what we want to hold George W. Bush responsible for. I know that there were some tweets about him being a, a war criminal. Um, So far as I know, The Hague does not have, uh, they're not waiting for George W. Bush to prosecute him as a war criminal. We have the Geneva Conventions, which, you know, they're actually ways to understand what war crimes are. It's not just what makes you feel bad, uh, because war makes you feel bad. Um, I think Mark Ruffalo said something about the crimes for Mm -hmm. the Iraq War. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you know, maybe that could be your position. I'm not going to be kind. I don't want to recognize the humanity of someone because of, um, you know, the quote-unquote crimes of the Iraq War. But, you know, I, I think as Americans, we really need to understand what the United States is. Um, and for me, it always feels more egregious when we pretend like this is not a war state. Um Because it is. And if we... I mean, there are lots of things we can lay at the feet of George W. Bush. But then it has to be... It literally has to be every single person who has ever been in power. It has to be Barack Obama and Bill Clinton and George, you know, H.W. Bush and Ronald Reagan. It has to be Jimmy Carter. People love Jimmy Carter, right? But the Mujahideen would not have existed. There'd be no Osama Bin Laden today the way we know it if it weren't for Jimmy Carter Mm -hmm. and his assistants Uh, to the Mujahideen as they were fighting, you know, uh, in Afghanistan.
1: So to be consistent with this belief, then you would say that somebody like Ellen sitting next to Jimmy Carter and being kind to him should be a call out as well?
0: Yeah, no, that's exactly right. It's um, if you love Jimmy Carter and you if you just love the people who are in your camp uh, and you want to treat them kindly to Ellen's point and not treat the other people kindly because of some political disagreement or you think that they're bad people. Uh, the one I think you miss the point of kindness, which you know we we just addressed. But also, you're not really honest about the United States. We this this country has. I mean, we have aircraft carriers that carry warships that can get to uh, that you know that have planes. We can get to any target on the face of the planet under 20 minutes. The United States is the biggest army in the history of the world, right? So if you don't understand that this is a war state, so here here's where it doesn't look like it, right? If you are in ancient Rome and there are like, you, know, there are legions of, um, um, of, of soldiers that are just kind of like marching through the streets, then you're like, "Oh my God, we are a war state." But that, that's not what it looks like here, right? Because we have our military dispersed. And so you can sit in your little cafe and drink your light roasted coffee with uh, you can get a flat white, and it feels like the United States is not a war state. Um,
1: So would you go as far to say then um, there's hypocrisy to that belief?
0: uh, That's exactly what I would Hmm. say. I I think that there are so many people who reap the benefits of the type of hegemony that the United States brings, right? Um, The United States is the hegemon um, right now, at least. And there are a lot of benefits that come with that. And there are loads of Americans who have very cushy lives because of it. And if you are living your cushy Mark Ruffalo life or whatever, right? Um, so,
1: yeah, and a lot, one of the arguments was that Ellen's statement reeked a privilege. I think I'm hearing you say Mark's Ruffalo statement reeked a privilege.
0: Every light roast coffee drinking person in this country is privileged. Every single one. And we we can't pretend like it, it's something. I mean, if you really want to understand how hard it is, just look at a place that's like not the United States. Of course, it's privilege, and so maybe it's a privilege for her to say so. But that's literally everybody. Look, you let me slow down again because you know I gotta I gotta I gotta bring it down. Okay. Here, here's all I'm saying. Right. If you want to live in your anger, right? If you want to live an angry, bitter, unhappy life. Um, Then you can choose that. That's fine. Um, What I'm saying is that if you want happiness, if you want freedom, uh, if you want to not live a life of utter misery, then you have to recognize your own humanity. You have to recognize yourself. You actually have to want to be free. And part of that freedom is recognizing the humanity of every other individual, irrespective of their behavior, right? You have to be. Freedom means that. And you, yes, kindness is part of that. You know, when I was very young, I, I had a lot of fights. Um, I probably had more fights, fist fights, by the end of second grade than most of our listeners has, have had in their entire lives. Um, and part of the reason for that is when I was when I was young. Um, my family members would fight us, right? They would um, put us in a not really a rink; it would be like a very small living room, and they would take me and my peers, people who were my age, right, and make us fight each other. And sometimes they would um, tie our shoelaces together, uh, and this would be called toe to toe. Okay, right? So we go toe to toe; our shoelaces would be tied, and me and uh, and another kid my age, we would, or well, roughly my age, we would fight right until there was, somebody was declared a winner. Sometimes uh, they would put us on our knees, uh, and it would be me and another kid my age. I'm friends with most of these guys okay. today, right? <laughs> um, they put us on our knees, and then we and then they'd fight us like dogs, right? Uh, and for a really long time. I would be, I mean, for a good long while, I was angry at the other kid that I I was fighting. Uh, And at some point, like I said, you know, we became friends. And then uh, I was angry at the people who fought us like dogs. Um,
1: Family members, these are like cousins and brothers? Exactly. Okay.
0: And, you know... If I look now, um, because I you know I know some of their histories as well, uh, I understand uh, their context, I understand their brokenness, I understand um, their dysfunction, um, and I can see the the evil that they did, I can see the harm that they did, and I also see how they were acting out of their broken, dysfunctional humanity as well. I can hold both of those things mm-hmm. and so my treatment um, especially with the people who are my family um, my treatment for them today is not one of eternal damnation it's not of eternal disdain it's I treat them with kindness I see their brokenness I see how their lives are are um, are not okay and I offer my service I offer my help um, because that's what I think Time is really is, and that's how my humanity is reflected
1: well wow, that's um that's quite a that's a heavy story um
0: I' like to keep them for right at the end you know, wow, whatever. I know
1: you did you it's a zinger, uh, and you know it is it's time to wrap up let's let's leave it with that um and we will continue to kind of work these things out uh personally um and and our personal lives and then through this podcast and Hopefully, we're all trying to work it out.
0: Yeah, let's continue to try to work it out. You, me, um, and you know everyone who is listening. Certainly, you know, feel free to, to let us know commentary, but also uh, leave us a review. <laughs> yeah, I feel weird <laughs> to ask for a review. Yeah, if you're on iTunes <laughs> or whatever your platform, it helps is, us out. Yeah, uh, that would that would be amazing. Uh, certainly, thank you for for being here with us at Herodocs Americana for this episode. Um, We'll see you next time.
1: See ya.